God acted in resurrecting Jesus Christ from the dead. God acts by healing the sick, by revealing himself to us. And God's actions can be understood at big cosmic level, like sustaining the universe. But God's actions can also be understood as speaking to me in the here and now and being present or answering the prayers of the saints. Hey, everybody. We are back for season three. I'm here with Drew. Howdy, everyone. And uh, excited to have Drew in from San Francisco. He's been there. What, you guys have been gone, what, six weeks now? It's actually been almost two months. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, we are excited to jump in for season three. It's been a good... Uh, we will have taken off, I think, about six weeks, which was longer than our last summer break. But uh, it's been good and restful. Uh, our family got to do some traveling, and we are back in Waco and gearing up for a full fall semester. And Drew, you guys have been doing your own traveling all the way out to San Francisco and getting things settled there. And and, I look forward to hearing a little bit about that in a moment. But yeah, we are excited to dive in. We have a lot of great stuff lined up for season three. I'm going to look at the nature of God today, what or who is God, the theology of God, and uh, in the coming weeks, how God acts in the world. We're going to look at prayer and you know, I was, I was reflecting on this podcast as we've we've had a lot of people writing in, which we always encourage. Please send us your thoughts, ideologypc at gmail.com. Uh, love for this to continue to be a resource for the body of Christ, especially our movement, the Antioch movement, but it's expanded way beyond that, and, and we're thrilled about that. So please feel free to send us your thoughts. What we found over the past couple of years is this podcast has kind of straddled a couple of themes. We started out trying to address some of the the confluence of what's going on in culture with our faith as Orthodox uh, Protestant believers, and how the the streams in, within our culture, the different streams of ideas and thoughts, are influencing the church. And so we've tried to parse that out and give some handrails along the way. But I think a, a second stream that certainly overlaps with with that one is taking some deeper doctrinal and theological issues, uh, maybe at a grad level, and and especially with Drew's grad work, but bringing those into kind of a mainstream conversation, taking some, you know, some resources, some books that most people aren't going to have the time or take the time to read, and make those accessible, at least in a dialogical format for consideration, all with an aim to equip the body of Christ in our day. So we hope and pray that this podcast has been a, uh, a resource for you and continues to be so. If you're just now joining with us, I definitely recommend going back and taking a listen to some of our key episodes from the first couple of years, all the way back to the very first two episodes, the water we're swimming in, the, the, the meta-narratives, the stories that we live under are some key themes for understanding where we're going with this podcast. Uh, we're also looking forward to having some great guests on this season been lining up uh, some some fantastic people that have been uh, really forerunners in their field and uh, just tremendous opportunities to bring them on the, the show and to contribute uh, within their specialties. So Drew, why don't you give us just a high level, how's San Francisco been? What are you seeing out there before we dive into the content today? We've loved being out there. And um, you know, more than anything, I think my testimony is God is moving and it's so easy for us at times to have these places where we feel like those are off limits to the move of God. And whether that's in the United States, whether that is 
overseas somewhere. And consistently what I've experienced is when you actually show up and you actually pray and you actually get to know real people, you always discover that God is at work there. And I, I think I, I walk around most days, not that it's all easy, but I walk around most days just with the joy of getting to partner with God. And it's a, it's a great reminder, you know, somehow getting out of my normal routine and normal comfort zone reminds me that, that it's this participation of being with God and what God is doing. And so we love it. Uh, you know, on the one hand, there's some chaotic elements, like finding any kind of place to park. Our, our family's living in a basement apartment. It's like this duplex. And we have my in-laws with us as well. So eight humans and a dog, and there's three bedrooms, and we don't even have a kitchen. It's like a half kitchen. So we wow. use a laundry sink for our dishes. I mean, it's it's crazy. You know, so there's definitely some missionary elements to it. But then the weather's awesome. Uh, we have these incredible partners with Crazy Love Ministries, and we are church. And so if you're not familiar with them, um, being there firsthand, they are absolutely the real deal. And that's another element I just, I just love getting to partner with the body of Christ and people that are outside of our Antioch um, family, but part of our Christian family and contend together for the purposes of God. So it, it's been a joy and we love it. It's awesome. When Drew walked in, I, I uh, hadn't seen him in a couple months and said, hey, how's San Francisco? How's the weather been out there? He said, do you really want to know? And I thought about it. And I said, no, I actually, I don't want to know. We've been baking away here in Waco, Texas. Uh, I think it was Mark Twain who said the coldest winter that he ever spent was the summer he spent in San Francisco. So jealous in that regard. However, the heat here in Waco has been a blessing in disguise in that there's no mosquitoes or flies this year, at least out at our house. So we've been giving thanks at our house, even though it's been sweltering. But I guess that's a good side of a drought, right? Like all the mosquitoes die. There is an upside. There is an upside there. I feel like we're talking about the plagues of Egypt, you know, and trying to like (laughs) compare which one's better than the other. Yeah, you you pick and choose which uh, which plague this summer will take. We'll take heat for now. But yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Like I said, we've got some great themes and content. And as always, I don't know what it is. Drew has been busy prepping it. And so I will add color commentary along the way. Today, we're talking about just basic theology, who or what is God. And, and even before, before Drew jumps in, I'll tie this back into a key theme that has been running through our podcast since the beginning, and that is the theme of ontology. And this is such a crucial starting point for for anybody. And I don't know that many people take the time to really step back and to evaluate their beliefs. We talk about the worldview that we have being like a lens that's over our eyes, like glasses that we're looking through all the time. And, And it is very advantageous to occasionally to take off that lens and to evaluate the actual framework, the actual lens through which we're looking at the world. And and this thought of who is God, what is real, what is behind the the substance that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. And we talked about you know, origin stories, origin giving rise to epistemology, how do we know things, giving rise to ontologies, giving rise to our, our morality and ethics, giving rise to our anthropology and if there is a God, if there is something outside of what we can see and feel and taste and touch with our five senses, if there really is a metaphysical world that obviously has a tremendous bearing on our lives. And as believers, even, we have been 
influenced to a great degree by the materialistic and the naturalistic world that we live in, this society, this secular society that has largely rejected the notion of the metaphysical, that all that we know and, and, uh, and can experience is right in front of us. And maybe some agnosticism there of a hope that there's something beyond this life, but nothing very concrete. And, and that's a huge distinguishing factor between believers and non-believers. And even for among Christians, there can be a great discrepancy uh, around how much we live in that world and are God conscious and are aware on a day-to-day basis of the reality and the existence of God. But even those statements are loaded and there is tremendous depth to the notion that God exists and, and what or who is God. And so that's where we're going to go today as a starting point for for this semester. So without further ado, Drew, why don't you dive in and let us know a little bit more about this question, what or who is God? Great, Mick. I've been studying a lot this summer, um, specifically looking into this topic of divine action and divine agency. And you're probably left, you know, scratching your head, just even me saying that of what I mean by that. On the one hand, it's very basic. And on the other hand, it can get complex. But it gets to the heart of the question, who is God? And we've done episodes in the past on uh, God as triune, and so we've really explored that of how is God revealed as Father, Son, and Spirit. Today we're going to go a different direction and say, when we say God, what do we refer to? Is God a being like us? Is God transcendent and different from us? Is God some combination of all of those? Is God able to be known? If God is able to be known, how can God be known? You know, these are the kind of questions that we often don't ask But once you really dig into it, it really um, can send your head spinning. But I think it's important at one level to get clear on this. And um, here's the tension we have in our faith is I believe at the core, good theology can be grasped by a child, by someone who's uneducated, by a simple person, because that's ultimately who God came and revealed himself to be. But the challenge we have is that we also live in a world where there are millions of philosophies and theories that have been put out there that are eroding the faith, sometimes overtly attacking the faith. I I find those are easier to deal with, but there's others that subtly erode the faith. And so we have this constant process of taking what's been revealed to us and being able to answer the questions while also maintaining the simplicity that at the end of the day, we serve a God who is present, a God who created the world, a God who became man and died for us, a God who's coming again, and ultimately a God with whom we will live for all eternity. And so there are these basic principles that we always have to come back to. So the whole word theology simply means the study of God. And I've seen a few prominent ways of very basically how we understand this study to go about. And this is picture a fork in the road. And depending upon which one you choose is going to take you in a very different direction. So the first way is what I would refer to as a human-centered view of theology. And in this, basically what somebody is saying is the study of God is actually the study of the human reflections about the divine. And I use the word divine because it's less personal, because that's what this becomes. And typically when you approach theology this way, what you're saying is that there are themes that emerge in humanity of how they embrace God, the questions they ask, the metaphysical assumptions, make you use the word earlier, another way of saying that just how they see the world, how they understand their place in the world. Like when you go outside, when you interact with people, what's happening, you know, or um, what's real, what's not real, those kind of things. Is there a spiritual world? 
And so what you do with the human view of theology is you circle back to these are key themes. These are common religious traits. These are things that tend to emerge when humans contemplate God. And um, there's a lot of good stuff that can come from this because you start to see, you know, what maybe are things that are, I would look at it as hardwired into our humanity that we long for. Um, you know, this maybe awareness that there, this world, there's something bigger than just what we see in the material world. There's an awareness maybe of this deep desire for love and relationship. Uh, maybe there's a, an awareness that we need forgiveness at the core, that something's wrong. And so, you know, this this view of theology is consistently looking at the human side of reflections about the divine. The danger of it, though, is if you think about it logically, and I know like a lot of you are like driving or something, so you might, I'll repeat this because it takes a second. But if God is truly transcendent, meaning if God is actually so much bigger than us that we can't even comprehend it, then can human reflection about God ever actually reveal God. Another way of looking at this is if God is beyond all things, that means God is beyond my ability to even think about God. Like if you follow that all the way to the end. And so the best of my thoughts about God will never be accurate because I can't actually think my way into God because God is bigger than me. I know that might give you a headache to think about, but it is important when you get into theology because if we make our confession that, you know, there's a God out there who can speak the universe into existence or, you know, whatever other things, then in a way we're also acknowledging that this God is so far beyond us that we really don't have the words to describe God. So that gets me to the other perspective of theology. And this is not the human-centered view of theology, but the God-centered view of theology. And in this view, what we're acknowledging is that a truly, a genuinely, authentically transcendent God can only be known by that God choosing to reveal himself to us. In other words, God is so much bigger than us that we will never be able to just observe the world in the way that I could observe the processes of nature or even human interaction. I'll never be able to observe the world and just using my own brain somehow understand God. I can see God. I think I can confess that as a Christian. I can see the handiwork of God, but I won't understand God that way. I am limited to my understanding of God by God choosing to reveal himself to us. Uh, So let let me look at this. um, You know, I I know I'm kind of out there um, right now as far as just way, way in the cloud. So I'll try to bring it down uh, with the metaphor. With my own children, you know, I picture like a toddler. You know, I'm, I'm out of that stage now. But, you know, when my children were three or four, if they observed me, and they, in their little minds, thought that they somehow fully understood me just by their observations, it would be grossly inaccurate. Like, there's so much more to me in the world and so many things they haven't learned yet. So much they just don't recognize. I think of, like, all the intellectual work I do or even my job or my history. You know, just so many things they just don't know. Yet, at the same time, they can still know me because I choose to make myself known to them. So as a father, I am engaging my children in relationship and revealing myself to them through my interaction with them in the way that I want them to know me. And so it doesn't mean because they're young, because they don't have all this knowledge of the world, that they can't have genuine knowledge of me. But what it does mean is that their knowledge of me is dependent upon my revelation of myself to them. Now, that's a very 
that's a very bad metaphor at the one level because we're both human, you know? <laughs> we're both human beings, right? So like if you throw a transcendent God into the mix, it totally jacks that that metaphor up. But even in that that small human equation, you can still see some of this trend is that it, it takes, if God is really so much bigger than us, and if we're the equivalent of like these tiny little toddlers trying to understand God, we really are dependent upon him coming down and demonstrating himself to us. And so obviously, Mick and I fall into that second camp, you know, and I'm not saying there's no knowledge to be gained by kind of this generic religious studies. I think there can be, and I think there are some trends that point to, to use the very cheesy phrase, the God-shaped hole in our heart. Um, there are some things I think that are just baked into humanity that God put there, um, these longings of the human heart that lead us to him. But those longings themselves do not re- reveal God to us. Instead, it requires God actively revealing himself to us for us to be able to know God. And maybe a, a massively oversimplistic way to summarize what I think I hear you saying, Drew, is because this question really crosses over into epistemology, what I hear you saying, the, the, the study of how do we actually know something? How do we uh, observe or perceive reality? And, you know, I think within our context today, within the, the, just for lack of better terms, the secular context today, the primary ways of knowing something are observation. Uh, we have to be able to test it. It has to be, there has to be empirical evidence behind it in order to substantiate something as truthful or real. Um, secondarily, you might have the testimony of somebody that you trust. Like none of us listening were alive in 1843, but there aren't many people who doubt that the year actually happened uh, because there are millions of eyewitnesses of that year who wrote down their uh, experience of the year 1843, but really we're taking it in faith that that year existed because of the testimony of somebody else who we trust. Beyond that, beyond observation and testimony, we're getting into the realm of revelation, and that is where, uh, as as you're saying, Drew, or at least I think I hear you saying, it requires God being transcended and outside of ourselves to make himself imminent, to make himself observable, to make himself knowable. So we have kind of three basic epistemologies of observation, of testimonial, but then of revelation. And of course, observation and testimonial play into the knowledge of God, Romans one twenty and elsewhere. But at, as a starting point, it requires God, if we are created beings, uh, it requires God to initiate revealing himself to us. Is that a semi-accurate uh, summary of what I think I hear you saying, Drew? Yes. Yes, it is. And... I know, you know, depending on your personality type, some people love to talk about this kind of stuff. Others are like, all right, move on to something else. You know, tell me, tell me what, how this applies to my life. And uh, the reason why I, we want to do this today is eventually within the next few weeks, we want to get into things like prayer. What actually happens when we pray? How do we participate with God's mission? What's the human response to God? Things like that, that dictate our action. But we, we really need to take a step back and say, based on our understanding of who God is, that's how I can understand what prayer is. That's how I can understand what engaging God's mission is. It flows downstream from God and his revelation to us. And I find a lot of my life is spent doing the things. And, and I would highly encourage you, don't stop doing the things. Keep praying. Keep sharing the love of Christ. Keep giving a cup of cold water to somebody in the name of Jesus. Keep serving and loving your family and your church community and caring for those around you. Like Keep doing all of those things. But it's also appropriate to take a step back from time to time and say, how is it, based on who God is, how is it that we do these things? And what's his responsibility? What's our responsibility? 
and things of that nature. And I think as you'll see here, this may take an episode or two, you know, before it really starts to sink in. But where you land on some of these will in the long run dramatically affect your view. And that's why I want to take the time to get into this is because there's a lot out there in the water that is presenting competing views of who God is. And so I'm going to give you a few um, a few thoughts and hang with us. Um, I'm going to give you a few thoughts. And at first, I'm not going to critique them. So I'm just going to explain what they are and what they mean. And then we'll come back around and maybe look at Based on how you understand this downstream, how would it affect something? I think prayer is a good case study for it or um, some form of engaging the mission of God. What changes based on how you understand it? A principle that has um, very deep roots in Christian theology, I don't have the exact dates for this, but I want to say like 6th, 7th century, somewhere in there, is this concept of apophatic theology. And what that is referring to is that we cannot actually make positive statements about God that accurately describe who God is. And you might hear that and you might think like, wow, that's bonkers. Like, you know, God is powerful. God is love. Like those are positive statements. And I agree with you. Um, but it's more complicated than, than that at one level, because what you're saying is you're saying when you make a positive statement about God that you as a created human being, are able to use the words of your culture to accurately describe the transcendent God, that you're able to look at God and understand him for who he is in such a way that you can use words to describe him. And so, you know, the theologians who would go down this this road would say, like, that's arrogance. That is not man humbled before his God. That is human arrogance using human concepts to somehow nail down God in the exactness of his nature. And so instead, what these theologians propose is that the only thing you can do is declare what God is not. God is not created. God is not constrained. You know, you can kind of go down these different things. And so we don't understand fully what God is because God's so much bigger than us, but we can talk about the things that God is not. God is not a being like other human beings. God is not us. God, you know, I, I can, you can go down this long road of these negative statements about what God is not. And then, you know, the upshot of all of that is over time, you kind of build up this composite picture of who God is based on this understanding of what God is not. Yeah, and I don't have a deep knowledge of apophatic and cataphatic theology, but the opposite of that then would be cataphatic theology, which uses positive terminology to talk about God, that there's some assurance of what we can know, what has been revealed with certainty. And so I think, not 100% sure where you're taking this, Drew, but there is a, I think there's a deep humility in apophatic theology, this, this understanding of God as transcendent. And then the balance of that being cataphatic theology, that God has revealed himself in some tangible ways that we we base our faith on, that Jesus is the imminence of God, the, the revelation, the self-expression of God that can be known, and we work outward from there as followers of Jesus. But uh, beyond that, how, how does this get fleshed out, Drew, in, in our understanding and knowledge of God? The last several hundred years of theology... Um, and maybe even going back further, uh, you really see some of this in the scholastic movements and um, Aquinas and some of the early reformers. But the last several hundred years in particular, 
there's been a lot of study of theology in a more generic sense and even philosophic theology. And some of these theologians, they are trying to study God maybe outside the, the, the ground of Christian tradition. A lot, most of them operate within the Christian tradition in the sense of that's where they came from. But they're really trying to understand God based on some of these concepts like, you know, what God, who God is not or things like that. So they've come up with quite a few different proposals that they're just out there. They're in the water. And, you know, I think in all of these, there probably can be some good things. But um, I'll point out a few what I consider to be really serious challenges for us. A, a very common one is that God is the absolute or God is like the ultimate being or God is the being beyond being. And what this is getting to really all of these is that, you know, as a human, I am finite. And yet somehow, like I have an identity, I have a consciousness, I exist somehow, yet there, there is something greater than me that gives me some kind of meaning, some kind of purpose. Like there, there is some reason why I am not like a tree, but I have a consciousness and I am able to somehow interpret the world. And any of these theologies, they're, they're kind of pointing to the fact that if you were a purely naturalistic or atheistic evolutionary um, biologist, you know, like it's hard to explain that. It's hard to explain this concept of being. So why does that exist? And so what they're positing is they're saying like, you know, kind of at the very edge of our thought, the very edge of our horizon, there is something greater. And our identity is derived from that something out there that's greater. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense that we would even talk about this kind of thing. Like, you know, uh, maybe put it another way, there's no reason for humans to so universally have this awareness uh, of something greater unless there actually is something greater that's at the edge of our consciousness that we're aware of and that's pulling us to it. That doesn't necessarily mean God in the Christian sense. So the people that go down this road, and I'll, I'll get into some of what I consider to be kind of crazy ways <laughs> that they might interpret it. So it doesn't mean necessarily God in the Christian sense. But what it does mean is that a purely naturalistic view of the world does not account for this reality. And so there's there's some ultimate that's out there. And Mick, you mentioned this in passing earlier, and we've hit this in previous episodes. But what we have here is that this concept of, on the one hand, on transcendence, and that's the thing that's bigger than us that gives us meaning. But then we also have this concept of imminence, spelled with an I, I-M-M-A-N-C-E, and uh, in a Christian theology sense, that means God is present with us. So transcendence means God is, is bigger than us, speaks the world into existence. Imminence means God is with us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so you have these two very different views that in the Christian faith we hold together in tension. But a lot of these theological reflections or concepts about God, they're going to gravitate towards one or the other. And what I've actually found is the further down you go, you kind of end up in the same place. And so once you stop holding them in tension, what you tend to get is a God that's so big, that's so remote, that's so out there, that you can never actually know that God. And so what you're left with is this radical imminence that God actually becomes equated with the world. So God is so far beyond the world that God becomes equated with the world. And I know that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and that's the point. It doesn't make sense, um, you know, because you, you end up losing when you're not willing to hold the two intention, you actually lose the beauty of what's there. And so going back to, to earlier, 
two words that that um, come up that mean more or less the same thing are pantheism, and pantheism equates God with the universe. And so God in his transcendence, the universe becomes God's body in a sense. And so what you have, you know, almost think like the force in Star Wars, you know, it's a bad example, but it's kind of like that, uh, where you have kind of this ultimate absolute thing, and that's the totality of the universe. And so in a way, the universe is just God's body, and that means we're all part of God because we're all part of the universe. And or Awa, isn't it Awa and Avatar? Better, I, I never example. watched Avatar. I missed that one. <laughs> but you, you kind of have, you know, you can kind of see like a lot of different think like pop culture or other religious beliefs, get to pantheism. And so God is transcendent because it's like the totality of all that's out there, but imminent because we're living in a material world. And so we are able to somehow interact with this, this sense of transcendence. A slightly less her- heretical, but still heretical perspective is panentheism. And what this would believe is that God is bigger than the universe, but the universe is still part of God. And so the distinction between God and the universe is eroded. And so in other words, the universe is still like part of God's body, but God is bigger than the universe. And so we can't just say that God is equated with the universe, but but the universe is an actual part of God. Rather than being something that God created and maybe as a site for God to reveal himself, it's actually a part of God. And then a, a recent proposal kind of takes that same perspective and what it says is that God is influence. And this is known as process theology. So you have this universe that's out there. It's interconnected with God, but God is radically in the universe and revealing himself through his body, which is the world. And what God is doing is at every single moment, all the way down at a quantum level, God is influencing us back towards him. And so that ultimately he reveals himself in the universe through us. You know, I recognize as you think about these things, they hurt your head, right? Like, don't feel dumb if you're not following. I mean, I... I've read so many books that I still sometimes like wrapping my mind around all these proposals can be a pain. But here's the challenge. You can probably affirm a lot of it, right? Like you can probably be like, yeah, God, you know, there is something about this absolute otherness, this transcendence that that we do recognize. It's why I go look outside on a starry night and I'm just in awe. It's why when I'm interacting with a group of people and and we're all together in unity, there's something really special that takes place. It's why when I contemplate, you know, just the reality of the cosmos and the world that we live in, whether it's down at the most microscopic level as you study the the reality of creation or the macroscopic level as you as you look to the galaxies, it's like in all of these places, there is something that pulls us. There is something that draws us, right? And and so I see you, I see how you you can get to all of this and this question of in all of that, like who is God? And so I can see where a lot of these different these different perspectives would come from. And a lot of them I think have a good intent. They want us to have a humility before God and they want us to maintain God's radical transcendence or they want us to recognize God's radical imminence. But the danger, I want to go back to where we started this episode, the danger is that if we're not careful, these become human thoughts about God based on the best of human science and the best of human philosophy. And that right there is where I think the big mistake is made. Because if God truly is all of these things, transcendent, far beyond us, at the edge of our imagination, then what we're saying is that our best thoughts cannot reveal God to us. And ultimately, 
we become dependent upon God's revelation to us. In all this theology, there has been this tendency to reduce or minimize divine revelation. Instead, people might affirm, and you got to be really careful if you read theology, you will read a statement, it'll sound so good. You know, people will talk all about God's transcendence, talk all about humility, and it'll you'll be like, wow, that's so beautiful. And they'll they'll paint this incredible picture. I mean, remember the people writing this are brilliant, you know, incredible picture of God, and they'll weave in the Christian tradition and all these different things. But underneath it is this view that scripture and the revelation of God is in fact human reflection about God. So these are not God revealing himself to us in any kind of special way, but these are humans who have meditated upon God and developed concepts that other humans have found fruitful. And over time, we develop these sacred writings, which are definitely worth pursuing and studying and listening to, but they can't accurately describe God to us because God is beyond our ability to know. And so we draw from them the resources of the Christian tradition, but we don't necessarily look at them and say that these are accurate. Instead, we look at them and say that, that these are the very best of humanity's attempts to know God. And that right there, I believe, is the great danger, and that right there is the great mistake that's made in theology, because at the end of the day, we are dependent upon God's revelation to us, not our ability to figure out God on our own terms. Yeah, so so maybe Drew, we could land this plane by talking about where where this touches our lives in a more day to day sense. And I'm I'm listening to you, and it's making my head spin. And I I think a lot about these things too. When we talk about God's self revelation and the transcendence of God and the dangers, the pitfalls of of cataphatic theology and and not respecting the apophatic. The, the mystery and the human hubris of trying to describe God or claiming that we can for certain know certain aspects of God. And just kind of, there's like a kind of a vortex there that, you know, that where do I start? How could I possibly know something with any shred of certainty on what does my faith rest? So what encouragements would you give us and, and where does this kind of touch, you know, our daily lives and, and specifically with regard to this podcast as we're equipping the body of Christ and the face of all the different ideas that are coming our way. So why don't you give a, a couple of landing points for us? My big concern with all the stuff I've talked about up to this point is that if you spend too much time in philosophical theology, what ends up happening is that you end up removing God from being an active agent in the world. You know, in other words, because God's so big and so transcendent, or because God is the processes of the universe or whatever, God is not a distinct person who acts. And, you know, if, if I were having this conversation with somebody at like a really high level, they would probably at that point charge me with this thing called, here's another big word, just because our head's already hurt, anthropomorphism. And what that means is that we have created God in our own image. And so they would look at what I just said and say, well, you're making God into being a person because you're a person, and you're saying God acts because you act. And so what you're doing is you're creating a God in your own image. My reply to them would be what I've already said, that I can only know God in the way that he's revealed himself to us. And as a Christian, I believe that I am created in, a, in God's image. And so I am a person, but God is the ultimate person. I am a reflection of God and who he is. I have genuine agency. I can do this stuff. I can make decisions. I mean, it's crazy. The best of science still can't quite figure out 
what agency is or why we have it. Like I have these different things and these are the, the leftovers of the fact that I was created in the Imago Day, that God made me in his own image. And so who I am is not God, but is a reflection of God because he's chosen to reveal himself to me. And so I wholeheartedly affirm that God is person or, you know, triune persons. And that that at the core is who God is. God is personal and that God acts and is an agent in the world. And where you're going to see this get very specific is this becomes fundamental for us making the claim that God acts. God acted in resurrecting Jesus Christ from the dead. God acts by healing the sick, by revealing himself to us. And God's actions can be understood at big cosmic level, like sustaining the universe. But God's actions can also be understood as speaking to me in the here and now and being present or answering the prayers of the saints, all these different things. And that's the huge danger of philosophic theology is it removes God as an acting agent in the world. And it removes God from being a personal being with whom I can have relationship. And in a what sounds on the surface to be this really awesome attempt to elevate God and kind of deal with human pride and arrogance actually takes God away from who God has revealed himself to be. And so I agree on the one hand, like, I don't, I can't know God, like, 100%. If the issue here is humility, I think the more you study this, the more you recognize, like, I, I can't see rightly. I can't even see outside of my own culture, let alone see the created universe for what it is, and let alone see God for who he is. But what I can do is, as a personal being, respond to the God who created me, gave me the faculties to have communion with him, not because I have something great, but because he chose to do it in relationship. And in that way, I can know God. Not know God in totality of who he is, but know God in the way that he's chosen to reveal himself, much like a one-year-old child can know a parent. Genuine knowledge, genuine relationship. And that, I believe, ultimately is who God has made us to be. And so is God transcendent? Absolutely. But is God with you? Absolutely. And I think more importantly, can you have relationship with this God? Absolutely. And does this God act in the world? Absolutely. And that's what we're going to explore these next few weeks is what does it mean to say that God acts and moves in the world today? Awesome. Great way to kick off season three. Thanks, Drew, for prepping content even while traipsing around the country. And uh, thank you for tuning in. And we we don't say this very frequently, but um, if you find the content of this podcast helpful, feel free to uh, rate the podcast, to share it, to make a comment, to subscribe. Uh, We find that in order to make the podcast uh, findable through just random searches, uh, the more that you interact with it, the more uh, it becomes available to other people. So if you find it helpful, feel free to do that. Feel free to give us some honest feedback as well. And as always, uh, shoot your questions, comments, thoughts our way at ideologypc at gmail.com. Hope, by the way, didn't mention it at the very beginning, but hope you enjoyed the new intro music. We figured it was uh, it was time after two seasons. So freshening up the look just a little bit. And again, thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week on Ideology. Ideology.